So our reading this evening is Luke chapter 20, verses 9 to 18, and that's on page 1055 of the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 20. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love, because they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What, then, will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, They said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. This is the word of the Lord. Once upon a time, there was an entrepreneur, and he was sitting at home reading through his uh, industry magazine, and he read this article on the craft beer industry and thought to himself, that sounds good. There's a lot of money in that. And he also read in that magazine that Basingstoke was an up-and-coming place. And so he got in his car, traveled down the M3, and came to one of these newly built industrial estates and bought himself a huge warehouse. And in the warehouse, he put this microbrewery in place. And it was fitted out with the greatest vats, stainless steel. It had a kind of distressed oak look, uh, uh, a bit like this once I got it working. Um, kind of distressed oak look, um, desks, had all the best ingredients sourced. And he bought up properties for all his staff to live And he put an ad out for staff to come and run this microbrewery. And all these kind of hipster types with beards and glasses um, tried to uh, apply, and he thought that'd be perfect, ideal. And he gave the running over to this staff, and then he traveled to another country. A few years later, he thought to himself, now's the time to get my share of the profits. And so he sent his accountant across. But she phoned a couple of days later to say, They just slapped me and said, get out. He thinks that's strange, so he sends his executive assistant, and he phones and he explains, I was stripped, and I was thrown out of the microbrewery. Finally, he sends his chief executive officer, and he receives a phone call from her from the hospital, and she explains that they cut her head. And the entrepreneur thinks to himself, what do I do? 
And then he speaks to his 30-something son who runs the business with him, and they decide between themselves that he should be sent. And he says, yes, look, others, uh, they, others from my business they might not have respected, but this one, surely they will. He's the co-owner. And he watches his son board the plane. He says goodbye. But a couple of days pass, and then he gets a call from the police. I'm sorry to inform you, your son's body has been found. What will the entrepreneur do? What would you do? See, stories like that one we've just heard get us to see the world through someone else's eyes so that we understand their perspective and we understand why they act the way they act. See, I don't know about you, but in the story I've just told there, um, no one would blame the entrepreneur for uh, bringing all his anger down on the staff because we can see things from his perspective. Uh, and that's the purpose of this parable or story in our passage this evening. See, the story comes in the context of Jesus' confrontation in Jerusalem. And we might look at that confrontation with all the religious leaders asking Jesus all these questions and think they're just innocent questions. But Jesus tells us this parable so that none of us will be mistaken about what's really going on under the surface. Now, like any great story, there are a variety of characters and plots. And what I want us to do this evening is to be directors. You up for this? We're going to get our cameras. You don't have to get them out of your pockets. Not, I'm not going to do it for real. But we're going to get our cameras out, metaphorically, and we're going to uh, shadow each of the characters in this story and focus on each of them one at a time. And you'll see uh, each of those characters on your handouts. First of all, we're going to look at the tenants. And then we're going to look at the owners. And then we're going to, owner rather, and then we're going to look at the son. Now, first of all, then, the tenants in this parable. Um, here I want us to ask two questions. What do they do and why do they do it? What do they do? Well, they rent a vineyard. And that was pretty typical uh, around that time. Uh, landowners would own these vineyards and they would rent them out to tenant farmers. Now, some of you guys are tenants, I guess. Yes, is that right? Yes, yeah, some of you are tenants. And you pay rent, don't you? because that's kind of the agreement. But when these tenants are asked to pay their rent, they beat up the owner's servants and throw them out. Now, it's important to say at this point, this parable isn't just a random story. I'll probably pick that up already, but uh, it's describing real history. As, uh, I wonder if anyone's read this book, Animal Farm. You may have been made to read it at school. Everyone enjoy it? Yes. On one level, it's a kind of children's story. It's a nice children's story, isn't it? With animals talking and killing each other and that type of thing. And then you realize after about halfway through, um, or if, uh, if you're slow like me, kind of after you've read it, um, you realize that actually this is describing the Soviet Union and some of the dangers of communism. Or perhaps you've seen this film, District 9. Anyone seen this? Yeah, a few of us, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a great film. It's about some aliens who, I think, land uh, with a UFO, and the UFO kind of breaks down, um, it's a bit random, and, and stays put, and it's kind of how does the human race integrate uh, with the alien race, and you realize after watching it that actually it's a commentary on the apartheid in South Africa, or at least I'm told. And this story here with the tenants, it's the same. See, on one level, it's a, it's a pretty cruel story about some cruel tenants, but actually, it is really a commentary on ancient Israel. 
Now, how do we know this? Well, um, the vineyard was a classical metaphor for Israel. Uh, Have a look at this. This is from Isaiah 5. And uh, here God sings a song about a vineyard. But see if you can spot what he's really singing about. Now, this is far too small on my screen, so I'm going to turn around. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choices of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press out as well. Here's the thing. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it only yielded bad fruit. See, God had treated his people like a beautiful vineyard. You can imagine, can't you, on the south of France, the kind of sun's out, these beautiful vineyards. It's kind of that picture. He brought his people out of slavery. He settled them in a most beautiful land. And all he wanted was to know them as the owner. But what happened? They only yielded bad fruit. See, back in Luke's parable here, uh, Jesus is describing Israel's history. See, the servants he speaks about who are sent, they represent the prophets. Each time Israel turned from their God, God sent a prophet to call them back to their senses. But listen to what they did to each of these prophets. Here's from one commentary. As I was reportedly sawn in two, Jeremiah was locked in the stocks, put in prison, and dangled up to his armpits in a cesspit. Micaiah was imprisoned and starved. Hananiah was imprisoned and put in the stocks. Zechariah was stoned in the temple courtyard. It's hardly a great history of the prophets, is it? And Jesus says, look, history is repeating itself again. Because now the sun has come to the vineyard. And what do the leaders want to do? Well, have a look at 19 verse 47. Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. So that's um, what the tenants uh, are doing. But why do they do it? I mean, is it just that they're mistaken? Uh, Have things got out of hand? Well, verse 14 of chapter 20 tells us their motivation. Have a look at it. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Now, what I find absolutely fascinating here, it's not a case of mistaken identity. See, they kill the son. Do you notice this? Because he is the son. See, I think often we can imagine that the cross was a huge misunderstanding, that Jesus came, he claimed to be equal with God, and the Jewish leaders were so kind of sensitive to that that they kind of overreacted and things kind of got out of hand. But that's not right. See, Jesus says they kill him precisely because they know who he is. See, Jesus here is exposing what's really going on with the opposition. All the questions, all the challenges are not innocent. They're just masking this desire to want to keep the vineyard for themselves. See, I don't know if you know this, but there is a very deep problem with the human heart. More than just we mess up from time to time. See, in each of our human hearts, there is essentially a war for ownership. See, like the tenants, we want to cling on to the title deeds to our lives, and any threat 
to us being in charge, like Jesus coming to his people, is met with opposition. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, one of the great reformers, he um, noted this, and listen to what he says. He says, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemy, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. Do you hear what Luther's saying? He hears God's law, and he hates God because of it. And there's something of that in all of us, I think. See, we hear that we have been made by someone else. We've not chosen to exist. We find ourselves in a place we didn't choose or create, and we die through no choice of our own, And after death, we're answerable to someone, whether we like it or not. I don't know about you, but my heart churns. And it's like I've got a three-year-old inside me that goes, that is not fair. See, we shouldn't be surprised when that reaction repeats itself in our world today. See, note, what happens when the son comes to his vineyard? Is there a huge welcome, a huge party? No, they threaten to kill him. So what will happen when we take news of that son to the world. Well, some will turn, but we should expect opposition. How are we doing with the camera work? Let's um, take the cameras off the tenants onto the owner. You up for that? Um, Let's ask, what does the owner do? Well, first of all, uh, he claims rent. And unless I'm mistaken, he's not being harsh here. these, These are the terms of the rental agreement. I'm a landlord myself, I claim rent, and each month we don't have an argument with the tenants because that's kind of what we've agreed. And that is a picture of God and his people. See, the people had a tenancy agreement with God. They had something called a covenant. They agreed to love God, to live as he wanted, to obey his law, and they weren't strong-armed into it. They wanted to sign. But they broke the terms of the agreement. They rejected the owner. Uh, back at university, I um, rented a house with six mates. Uh, it was a huge laugh. It was a great house, and uh, we got no work done. But um, our rent was due on the first of each month, and um, I remember a couple of months into this uh, new house, all of us suddenly got phone calls about 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, remember, this is university. This is a big deal. None of us wanted to get phone calls at 9 o'clock in the morning. And it turned out that the landlords were trying to track down my flatmate because his rent hadn't come through. And I thought, wow, that's pretty harsh. It's only the first day. There's no leeway here. And I remember after that thinking, there's no way we can miss our rent going forward. But notice how this owner responds. It's very different, isn't it? Um, Verse 10, he sends his servant. Uh, That one gets beaten. And so he sends another servant in verse 11. And in verse 12, he sends another servant. And in verse 13, he sends his son. Now, I don't know about you, uh, or whether it's just me, but you think that after the first servant is beaten and left for dead, that the owner would call the authorities, kick out the tenants, and prosecute them. But he doesn't, does he? He gives them another chance, and another chance, and another chance. Now, it's important to see the chances do run out in verse 16. Jesus says this, he will come and kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. But notice it's only after incredible patience on the part of the owner. 
Back at school, the subject I least enjoyed and did least well in was religious education. And I think it's God's uh, humor in placing me in the job that I'm in. But um, one of the things that really, probably the only thing that stuck with me um, from all those lessons was the example of my teacher. See, he was a Christian, and one thing came across very clearly was that he cared about people. And he told us this story as students, uh, we were about sort of 13, 14 at the time, uh, about him and his wife taking in this guy who had suffered from substance abuse. And the guy stayed with them for a few months, uh, but then he left, and as he left, he robbed them. And uh, rather than getting furious, he um, told us that he took the guy back in. What are you thinking? This is crazy. And uh, the same thing happened. He stayed a few months, and he left them, and he robbed them. And this time, uh, the teacher had lost his wife. And the guy not only robbed him, but he took everything that was precious, all the memories of her, the videotapes and the photos. And rather, even after that, rather than being angry, he was concerned about the guy's welfare. Now, we just thought this was hilarious as kids. We thought, what a naive guy. But actually, deep down, something struck me there. And it reminded I'd just never encountered patients like it. See, people hear the idea that God is going to judge the world, that he will call us to account, and we think it's harsh. We imagine this kind of vengeful God who lashes out at the first mistake and chucks the book at us. But note here that this is not what the owner's like. He's given the people every opportunity. We're given a world that screams as a creator. We're given his word that tells us what he's like. He's given us his son who's made a way back for us. Yes, God will judge, but only after incredible patience and opportunity. Now, we need to remember this again as we share this message. See, I don't know about you, but I think it's easy sometimes to think, why doesn't God press the judgment button now? You hear of Christians shredded by bombs in Sri Lanka or church persecution at record highs. And you think, what are you waiting for, God? But remember, God is like the owner. He's slow to anger. He will anger. But in his time, not ours. How are we doing with the cameras? Let's um, move them one final time to focus on the sun uh, in this parable. And um, I want to again ask what he does. Well, Uh, Jesus actually alters the picture here from the vineyard to the building site. Now, you've probably all walked past the builders at the end of this road, at the end of Goat Lane. um, And he says, imagine the builder's yard. Uh, Imagine um, some guys are are building uh, a building, and um, using the word building a lot for some reason. um, And they they come to the pallet of bricks, and uh, they're looking for the next brick to put in. And they notice a brick, but it's kind of cracked, and it's the wrong shape. It looks weak, and they just pick it up and chuck it in the skip. But Jesus says, look at what happens to that brick in verse 17. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. See, what the builders think of as rubble actually becomes the stone that is the most important in the whole building. See, the tenants, they think they can kill the sun, and it would be gone forever and they can keep the vineyard. And the religious leaders here around Jesus think that if they can crucify him, he'll be gone forever, and they can keep their grip on power. But they've missed one vital fact. 
which is that God always upholds his son. In fact, um, Jesus quotes here from Psalm 118. Uh, This is a psalm about another king. Let's look at what it says. Um, Verse 10, he says, All the nations surrounded me. This is King David speaking. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. Verse 12, they swarmed around me like bees. And in verse 13, notice this. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. I've got here a... um, a clip. I'm going to have a video. Um, it's a, a video of someone called uh, M- Magnus Carlsen, a great name. Have you ever heard of him? He's um, the best chess player in the world at the moment. And uh, he plays against Bill Gates, obviously one of the most intelligent people in the world. And just look at how he gets on. We pick it up after the first move. Start the clock. That was quick. Oh, that was bad. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Um, you, you get the picture, don't you? He's so good at chess that he's so many moves ahead. And the picture's similar here. That God is so many moves ahead that he will ensure that only his king is left on the board. Whatever move other people make, Even the crucifixion of his son will not mean the end of him. And a couple of chapters later, we see that played out. See, in a couple of chapters, Jesus will be that rejected stone. The people will accuse him of blasphemy. They will cry for his blood. They will shout to Pilate and to send him to the cross. They want to reject the stone, kick him out of the vineyard. But it doesn't hurt him. Three days later, he's raised to life to be seated at God's right hand, to be the capstone of a new kingdom. Now, depending on where we are with this king, this can either be bad news or good news. See, it's bad news, isn't it, if we reject this stone. It might be we think that it doesn't ever matter if I reject Jesus as king. It doesn't matter if I pay lip service to him on a Sunday, but uh, during the week my life shows no sign of sitting under his kingship. Because, of course, nothing seems to happen to me. I don't get struck down or anything like that. But this reminds us that we only hurt ourselves. Jesus will come out on top. We might think he can be rejected now, but it only hurts us, not him. But it is ultimately good news if we're standing with that king. It's easy, isn't it, to to feel, I think, we're on the losing side as Christians. It just seems that Christians suffer 
Uh, We don't fight back like everyone else. And it just looks like Jesus is weak uh, to do anything about it. But God is reminding us that his king is the capstone. He will ensure that Jesus wins. He's shown it in the resurrection. And he will do it again as he returns and everyone sees him for who he is. As we close, some things to take away. First of all, um, understand the real problem. I think all of us agree there's a problem with the world, whether we're Christian or not. Um, You ask people in the street, they'll tell you it's sexism, it's uh, environmental issues, it's corporate greed. But we fail, I think, to see what is under the surface. See, this parable reveals to us what is really going on in our world and what is really going on in our hearts. It is a fight with the Creator. That's why Jesus can be the only solution. Secondly, expect God to be more patient than you. See, there will be occasions, I think, where we expect God to act and he doesn't in the way we think. But this helps us to remember his character, that he is slow to anger. He will judge, but in his timing. And thirdly, join God's building project. See, remember God is telling us this um, before the uh, judgment to come. He's given us a chance So he doesn't destroy us, not to chuck the book at us now. He's honest about our real problem, and he shows us the real solution in his mercy shown by Jesus Christ. And he promises all of us that if we turn to this stone, we won't find judgment, but full forgiveness. Let's pray. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for your wisdom and power that even through the most evil act humanity has seen, you managed to exalt your King Jesus. Oh, Father, please help us to respond rightly to him. Please give us confidence where we lack it. Please give us a heart that turns where we need it. And please, Father, encourage us where we suffer for him. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.